What will we find in today's Thursday thrillers here on the Mutual Audio Network? A few baffling mysteries? Perhaps a touch of murder? Let's find out. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. The Mysteries of Dr. John Thorndike. Thorndike is the original fictional forensic detective from the early 1900s, using science to aid the art of detection to bring criminals to justice. This time presenting The Death of Oscar Brodsky, written by R. Austin Freeman, adapted for radio by Heather Elliott. If it isn't John Thorndike. Philip Boscovich, what are you doing so far from London? I'll ask you the same thing. I've just been visiting my brother and will be changing trains at Bodgham Junction. This is my assistant and old schoolmate, Christopher Jervis. Pleased to meet you. Off on a romantic adventure chasing down criminals? <laughs> Not this time. The only thing romantic about our cross-country journey is Jervis here staring wistfully out the window and sighing. He's just gotten engaged, you see. Young love, I do see. Thorndike has been asked to consult in a case at Warmington on behalf of the Griffin Life Insurance Office. Yet you bring your green case with you. Would you like to see inside? Yes, yes, of course. My heavens, it's a complete laboratory in miniature. Nearly complete laboratory. Do the instruments work? They look like dolls' toys. They work fair enough. Not as powerful as the full-size pieces, but adequate for a moment's notice. My man, Bolton, made the lenses to my exact specifications. Almost to Batcham Junction, I suppose. You mustn't be a stranger, Thorndike. Well, drop by when you return from your business. Excuse me, Porter. What's the commotion here? Man's been hit by the freight train just down the line. Looks like another suicide. How ghastly. They found him face down with his head in the tracks and feet in the grass. Look there. That'd be the station inspector coming back with the body. Doesn't bode well, Thorndike. The sheet is over his face. Is that the poor man's umbrella? Yes, do you recognize it? My God. That's Brodsky's umbrella. You remember Brodsky, don't you, Thorndike? Of course I do. You recognize the umbrella? Yes, Inspector. It belongs to a gentleman named Oscar Brodsky. Look inside his hat. He always writes his name there. We haven't found the hat yet. Perhaps you would identify his body? Is he injured much? <laughs> the, the engine and six of the freight cars went over him before they could stop the train. Took his head clean off. I... I don't think... It, if, if you don't mind, I'd rather not look. You have to. Early identification may be of the utmost importance. <gasps> oh, yes, it's, it's Brodsky. I was to meet him here and travel together to Amsterdam. Don't leave from here until I return, gentlemen. Boscovich, was Brodsky carrying any merchandise? Merchandise? Both Boscovich and Brodsky sell and buy diamonds. He must have had some stones. His clerk will know exactly what he was carrying. You ought to know, Thorndike. There's a gentleman behind you who is not at all surprised by the accident and very intent on hearing our conversation. He seems... Amused, uh, duly noted. Keep an eye on dress. My train is leaving soon. I'd feel better if you could keep an eye on the case. 
Brodsky and I are... were... old friends. We're not due in Warmington until tomorrow afternoon. I expect we can find out all that we need to know and still make our appointment tomorrow. I have a few more questions for you, since you appear to know the deceased. What more do you need? My train will be leaving soon. Inspector, please allow Mr. Voskovich to continue on his journey, leaving his address. We're both doctors, and I specialize in medical jurisprudence. We can assist you in determining the cause of death. Cause of death? The man was run over by a train! I would expect to look at it in one of three ways. Was it an accident? Suicide? Or homicide? No sane person puts his head under a train. Uh, Mr. Boscovich, was Brodsky sane? Quite. I've known him for years. There we have it. In addition, the only general facts we know are that the deceased was a traveling diamond merchant and probably had on his person a small amount of property of great value. I would hazard to guess this was homicide. Will you accept our help, Inspector... Ralphson. Charles Ralphson. Station Inspector. My train. Your card, please, sir. Then you can be off. Thank you. Keep me informed of the affair. If you doctors would follow me inside, we can wait for the local police to arrive. So, Jervis, any more observations on the fellow you saw watching us? He took the last train. Pale fellow. Anxious, too. Yet, not at all surprised or curious about the commotion. Hmm. Very interesting. Gentlemen, Constable Fraser is here. We don't need outside help from strangers, Ralphson. Strangers, yes, but highly qualified ones. My card, Dr. John Thorndike, specialist in medical jurisprudence. And my card, Dr. Christopher Jervis, medical doctor. I was speaking with the porter outside a minute ago when he said the deceased was laying face down with his head inside the four-foot width of the track and the rest of the body on the outside. Does that seem natural or accidental to you? Most suicides are not this neat. Is there a road crossing anywhere near where the body was found? Nothing. He must have climbed over the fence. Looks like deliberate suicide. I don't think it would hurt to have the extra help. Fine. They're your responsibility. I'm going to interview the witnesses. Where would you like to start, sirs? The umbrella, carry bag, and broken spectacles. Are they all Brodsky's? Yes, sir. Found them right by the body. The spectacles were close to the head, and the glass was scattered on the gravel. And the body. May I? If you have the nerve. Jervis, I think we can eliminate two options. We haven't got the authority to do a post-mortem, sir. No, of course not. I'm merely looking inside the mouth. Jervis, may I trouble you for your pocket lens? It's a bit off track, I think, to be finding out what he had for dinner. It won't do, Inspector, to assume that anything is off track in an inquiry of this nature. Every item we find is some sort of significance. Would you like me to put that on a slide and take a look? Yes, please do. I still don't see the significance of the diet of a man who had his head cut off. Don't you? The last meal of a man who met a violent death is of no interest? These crumbs all over his waistcoat, do you expect we can learn nothing from them? I don't see how you can. They're, they're crumbs. But what kind of crumbs? The structure of the cells seem to indicate some kind of wholemeal biscuit, composed partly of oatmeal. I call that nothing. The question we have got to settle is not what he ate, but what was the cause of death? Suicide? Accident? Foul play? I beg your pardon, Inspector, but the questions that remain to be settled are who killed the deceased and with what motive. You haven't been long coming to a conclusion, have you, sir? It was a pretty obvious case of murder, Inspector. As to motive, 
Oscar Brodsky was a diamond merchant and is believed to have had a quantity of stone on his person. I suggest you search his body. Huh. Searching the body and its possessions, that is what I came here for. A report just came in for you, Inspector Ralphson, from the other station. They examined the engine like you requested. Thank you. Any progress? No. Yes. The good doctors here think the broken spectacles, last meal and tobacco of the deceased will help us determine what happened here tonight. I believe Thorndyke was just going to suggest we go down the track and look at the site where the body was found. Ah, well observed. Would either of you like to accompany us as an official presence? Naturally, I will. I'll bring a lantern so we can see it. It's about a mile down the tracks. Well, the station master and inspector are out of earshot. Tell me, what made you certain it was murder? A very small matter, but quite conclusive. You noticed the small scalp wound above the left temple? Yes, but it might easily have been from the engine. Except that it had bled for an appreciable amount of time. There were blood trails. Yes, that did strike me as odd. In addition, both blood trails and the wound itself were firmly clotted and partially dried. Decapitated heads don't bleed. Uh, quite so. The injury was also on the side of the head facing away from the train. There was something else with the blood, too. Did you notice the angle? Yes. One blood trail flowed straight down the collar, and the other ran toward the back of the head. Very good. Now, what does that mean? Brodsky was standing up. The blood dripping to his collar. But he was also laying on his back. Excellent. The porter said the body was laying face down on the tracks. He must have been in an upright position when the wound was inflicted, but at some point he was laying on his back, which allowed the second blood trail to drip to the back of his head. I see. A quick observation and rapid inference come with practice, Christopher. What did you notice about the face? Asphyxia. I have no doubt of that. Correct. And I found in his teeth a little tuft of textile fabric. I wondered about that. Under the microscope, I found the bulk consisted of wool dyed crimson. But here were also cotton dyed blue and what looked like jute dyed yellow. It was obviously a multicolored fabric suggestive of a curtain or rug of inferior quality. What is our next course of action? To see what the site of the accident can tell us, then look around for a scene that fits all the information. Our dead man was standing up, then laying down... Then suffocated, likely with a curtain or rug. He ate biscuits with oatmeal in them and smoked an unusual choice of tobacco. Then there's his shoes. What about them? There was no trace of sand, gravel, or earth that would have been on the soles if he had crossed fields and rough land. Instead, I found fine tobacco ash, a charred mark as if a cigar had been stepped on, several crumbs of biscuit, and some colored fibers apparently from a carpet. But that would suggest... That, that he was killed in a house with a carpeted floor somewhere near the railroad and carried from there to the tracks where he was found. Then the case is practically solved. There must be abundant traces inside the house. The only question is, which house? Ah, quite so, Jervis. A very difficult question. We cannot enter houses speculatively just to see if there are traces of murder still present. What do we do? Can you see well enough with this lantern, gentlemen? Yes, thank you. There's a remarkably small amount of blood. I've seen a good many accidents of this kind, and there have always been a lot of blood, both on the engine and the track. It's very curious. You haven't found Brodsky's hat, have you? Not yet. Did you ever see Inspector Ralphson's boots? Yes. 
They were covered in loose, gravelly soil mixed with chalk. Ah, the side of the track is lined with it. No one could walk through this gravel without getting it all over their shoes. Meaning that Brodsky didn't walk here. Are you two whispering over another clue? Oh. The glass it must be from his spectacles. I suppose the poor chap was nearsighted, and that might account for him straying onto the rail line. Possibly. Jervis, would you hand me a pair of forceps from the case, and we'll gather all these glass fragments. There isn't any doubt that these spectacles belong to the deceased, is there? He certainly wore something. I saw the mark on the bridge of his nose. Well, there's no harm in verifying. Jervis, pick up every particle you can find. I'll leave you to that, gentlemen. The station master and I will continue our search for the hat. Are you looking for something, Thorndyke? Uh, the glass might be important. I don't see how. The glass, Jervis. The shards are too fine to have been from a simple fall, but too large to have been run over by the train. You suspect they were stepped on. But why is it important to pick up every piece? After we pick up every piece, if there are large portions of glass missing, that would support our hypothesis that the murder occurred elsewhere. But if most of the pieces are there, we can conclude they were broken right here, on the rail bed. Perhaps I had us further down the line. Will you gentlemen be all right here for a few minutes while the station master and I look? Uh, right as rain. Uh, let's take a look at this glass while our new friends are occupied. Lay the case down on the grass beside the tracks. It'll serve as a table. You have an eye for puzzles, Thorndyke. What are you expecting to find? <laughs> there it is. Though it wasn't what I expected. See this pile of glass on top of the case? What is it about the pile of shards? That, my friend, is extra glass. Extra? That means something else was broken at the same time and got mixed in. Precisely. This large piece has an eight-pointed star design. What do you suppose it was? Let's pull out the microscope and see what the fragments can tell us. <laughs> Look at the two of you, sitting on the ground in the dark, peeping through a microscope. <laughs> hey, by the way, where'd you find the hat? Uh, we haven't found it yet. We'll help you look if you'll give me a moment to secure the lens fragments to the paper for traveling. No sense undoing what we've managed to put together. Is there a village or hamlet nearby? Nearest is Corfield. That's half a mile. Where's the nearest road? There's a half-made road that runs past a house about 300 yards from here. It belonged to a building that was never completed. A footpath connects it to the train station. Are there other houses nearby? No, that is the only one. The probability is that Brodsky approached the railway from that direction since he was found on that side of the tracks. Solid reasoning, gentlemen. Thank you. Uh, my supplies are packed back into their case. I think we should take a look down that path. Mind your step. The ground is rough. That's the estate right up ahead. Careful, there's nettles along the side of that garden wall. Oh! Ow. What the hell is that? Oh, my, it's an iron bar. Three-quarters inch thick, uh, about a foot long. Hardly any rust, so it can't have been here very long. Don't wonder if I broke a toe. You seem interested in the end of that bar. Your pocket lens? Uh, thank you, Jervis. This has no bearing on the case. Ah, uh, perhaps it does. While you continue your examination, I'll go on ahead with the station master and see if anyone is at the house at the end of the footpath. I, I do feel badly for him, you know. All the facts must be examined regardless. Naturally. Ah, what have you found on the iron bar? Ah, there's some fibers sticking to the end. Uh, pull out the slides and microscope again, would you, Jervis? Here you are. 
You think the fibers came from something connected to Brodsky? Mm-hmm. Aha! Take a look for yourself. Red wool, blue cotton, and some yellow vegetable fibers that look like... Jute! The exact combination of fibers we found on his teeth, and likely from the same source. The bar has probably been wiped on that very curtain or rug with which poor Brodsky was suffocated. Which means that house up ahead is probably where it happened. Uh, by hook or by crook, we must get inside, Jervis. This is too plain of a clue to be ignored. There you are, gentlemen. No luck here. There's a light on, but no one is home. Do you think so? I tell you, there's no one in the house. Jervis, what is that in the grass by the door? Hand me your light, Thorndike. Thank you. It's a cigarette, partially smoked. I'm checking the front door again. Ah, pity a man with a closed mind. Ah, now this is informative. What does a cigarette tell you? It's been lit, then thrown away, meaning the person changed their mind. Since it was thrown away at the entrance to the house, almost certainly by someone entering it. It indicates that person was probably a stranger, or he would have taken it in with him. But he didn't expect to enter the house, or he would not have lit it. That's quite a bit of deduction. The paper of the cigarettes is the brand Zigzag, clearly seen here. It's also the same brand as the cigarette wrapping booklet in Brodsky's pocket. The tobacco itself is a fine-cut uh, Latakia. The same that was in Brodsky's tobacco pouch. You suggest he was the one who rolled and lit the cigarette here at the front door? Yes. There's one more detail I'm expecting to find. Brodsky's matchbox contained round wooden Vesta matches. See if you can find... A round wooden Vesta match. <laughs> Excellent find, Jervis. Slip it into the seat envelope. Let's find the inspector and see if we can get inside. I think we had better go back to the station now. In fact, I don't see what we came here for, but... I mean, here! I say, sir! You can't do that! Come off that wall! I can't allow you to enter private property, sir. Now listen to me, Inspector. I have good reason for believing that the dead man has been in this house. We must follow his scent. I'm not proposing to break into the house, just to examine the trash heap outside the door. You really are the most extraordinary gentleman. And what do you expect to find in the trash heap? A broken tumbler or wine glass. It's a thin glass vessel decorated with a pattern of small eight-pointed stars. It may be in the trash heap or inside the house. No harm looking in the trash, I suppose. Let me help you up, Dr. Jervis. That was quite the climb. Now, what a broken tumbler has to do with the case is more than I understand. We found extra glass with this design, mixed with the glass from the spectacles. Uh, check the ground around the trash heap. I'll be damned. Fragments of a broken tumbler right here on the trash heap. Thin, with an eight-pointed star design... I can't imagine how you guessed it was here, sir, nor what you're going to do with it now. Merely another link in the chain of evidence. Perhaps we shall find something else. What else could you possibly be looking for? More glass, I suppose. Exactly. Uh, shine your lantern over here, Inspector, and hand me a pair of forceps, Jervis. Uh, a bit more to the left, please, Inspector. Uh, yeah, yes, this is exactly what I was looking for. Let me have those two envelopes with the glass shards we found on the tracks. You think this shard from the trash heap fits into the spectacles? Here you are, Thorndike. Inspector Ralphson, you saw me pick up this splinter of glass? Yes, sir. And you saw where the spectacle glass was found and know whose they were? Yes, sir. Very well. Now observe. Lord, how on earth did you know it would fit? That I will explain later. We must have a better look inside the house. 
I expect to find a cigarette or possibly a cigar that has been trodden on, some wholemeal biscuits, possibly a wooden vest to match, and perhaps even the missing hat. By all means, let's try the door. That hat is the key to the case. Locked. Front door appeared locked as well. I'm afraid we shall have to break in. It's a nuisance, though. Have you had a look at the window? Very good. No luck, Inspector. Locked, and I can't get my knife in the side to pry it open. Not working. We shall have to... Well, look at that. Let's have a look around. Your friend doesn't waste much time, even in picking locks. It's a good skill to have in our line of work. I suppose it is. Let me turn up the light for a minute so we can see better. Ah, there. You know what to look for, Jervis? Hmm. Whiskey bottle on a side table. Glass tumbler. Biscuit tin. Inspector, have a look in the tin. How in the name of heaven did you know there were wholemeal biscuits in the house, sir? (laughs) You'd be disappointed if I told you, but look there on the hearth. A flattened, half-smoked cigarette and a round wooden Vesta match. Well, I'll be... Inspector, I believe you have the dead man's property with you? Yes, in my pocket for safety. Ah, good. Let's have a look at the tobacco pouch. Uh, With your permission, Inspector, I will cut open this cigarette and we can compare the tobacco. If this cigarette belongs to Brodsky, he would have rolled it himself with his own papers and tobacco. Well, I'll be. It's the same. And the paper wrappers from the booklet match as well. There's no doubt this cigarette was made by the deceased. One more point. You have his matchbox? Compare this. Identical. You've proved it to the hilt. If only we can find that hat, we should have a complete case. (laughs) I'm not sure we haven't found the hat. What do you mean? There's something besides coal that has been burned in that fireplace. By Jove, there is. The the cinders are still warm. Certainly not coal cinders. Looks like the wood has been burned over the top of the coal. These cinders are neither. They might quite possibly be part of the remains of a burnt hat, but who can tell? You can put a few pieces of glass together, but you can't reassemble a hat out of cinders. We may be able to ascertain the origin of these remains. They may not be cinders of a hat, after all. (coughs) Smells like varnish. And burning animal matter. (coughs) Very smoky and pungent. It's shellac. My first test gives a positive result. The next test will take more time. Jervis, let's have the green case. While I get the equipment set up, why don't you take a look at some fibers from this tablecloth? What have you concluded, gentlemen? Tell us what you found, Jervis. I'm almost finished here. Thorndyke found fibers sticking to the dead man's teeth, as well as to that iron bar you tripped over earlier, Inspector. Your hunch was right, Thorndyke. The tablecloth fibers are the same red wool, blue cotton... And yellow jute. Have you any idea how the deceased met his death? Uh, Yes. I posit that the murderer enticed him into this room and gave him some refreshments. The murderer sat right in that chair, and Brodsky was over there. Then I imagine the murderer attacked him with the iron bar we found in the nettles. Failing to kill Brodsky with the first stroke, the murderer struggled with him and finally suffocated him with the tablecloth. Uh, Your solution is boiling. Uh, Very good. Our specimen is ready. We should have enough here for a rough test. What happened to the cinders in the alcohol? Dissolved. Now we can see the individual components of what had been burnt. (laughs) Uh, Inspector, do you know what felt hats are made of? I can't say that I do, sir. Well, the better quality hats are made of rabbits and hare's wool, the soft underfur cemented together with shellac. There's a very little doubt those cinders contain shellac. With a microscope, I find a number of small hairs of a rabbit. I have little hesitation in saying these cinders are the remains of a hard felt hat.
Who are you? What are you doing here? Inspector Ralphson from Badsham Junction Rail Station. I can't give you any further information just now, but just who are you? Agnes Potts, sir. I'm Mr. Hinkler's housekeeper. Are you expecting him home shortly? Mr. Hinkler is away from home. He left this evening aboard the Golden Arrow, the boat train. For Amsterdam? I believe so. I thought he might perhaps be a diamond broker or a merchant? He does have something to do with diamonds. Ah, well, we must be going, Jervis. We finished here, and we need to find a hotel or inn. Can I have a word with you, Inspector, and you, Station Master? Of course. We'll gather our things, ma'am, and be out of your way in a minute. Well, what's Mr. Hinkler's first name? Silas. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Potts. What is it, Doctor? Why did you hurry us out? You had better take possession of that house, Inspector, and keep the housekeeper away. Nothing must be removed. Preserve those cinders and see that the trash heap is not disturbed. And above all else, don't have the room swept. It's like magic what you do, sir. Astounding. Just science and a keen eye with the experience to know everything and anything can hold a clue. Will you accompany us back, Station Master? Of course. Is there anything to be done with the deceased? The police can attend to that. Where are you doctors off to now that you've proven me wrong? Warmington. We'll do that tomorrow afternoon. If you'll leave me your addresses, I can keep you informed as the case progresses, and perhaps call you in to testify if needed. Thank you, Inspector. We would appreciate that very much. The post came. Ah, a letter from Inspector Ralphson. I wonder what news he has. <laughs> yes, exactly how we thought. Silas Hinkler was the murderer of Oscar Brodsky? He had the diamonds, I suppose. <laughs> he was arrested as he stepped ashore from the steamer to Calais. A packet of diamonds were found in his pocket that were identified as the property of Brodsky. It seems Hinkler was what they call a fence. He funded himself by carefully planned burglaries. Will we be called to testify at his trial? There won't be a trial, Jervis. On the return voyage to England, Hinkler threw himself overboard, still handcuffed. His body washed up on the coast three days later. What an end. An appropriate and dramatic end to a most singular and yet typical case. I hope it's expanded your knowledge, Jervis. This case illustrates the danger of delays. A delay of a few hours would have left us with hardly a clue. It also shows the necessity of pursuing the most trivial clue to an absolute finish. Third, the urgent need of a trained scientist to aid the police. And to never travel without your portable laboratory. <laughs> yes, it is quite handy. Thus ends the case of poor Oscar Brodsky. The Mysteries of Dr. John Thorndike, written by R. Austin Freeman, adapted for radio by Heather Elliott, starring Dave Johnson as Dr. John Thorndike, Roy Nessel as Dr. Christopher Jervis. Also in the cast were Bob Helling as Inspector Ralphson, Derek White as Philip Boscovich, Alex Gardyte as Station Master, Betsy Charnas as Mrs. Housekeeper, Joseph McGuire as Constable Frazier, Steve Chambers as Train Porter, I'm your announcer, Ryan Barker, Sound Design and Dialogue Editing, Jay Charles, Recording Engineer, Kevin Hughes, Recording Technician, Ziona Pettigrew, Production Assistant, Allison White, Directed by Steve Chambers. Produced by Joseph C. McGuire. Recorded in partnership at KSVR Studios in Mount Vernon, Washington. This was a Radio Theater Project presentation.